0: Church, thankful to see those who are here tonight and those who are um, on our live streaming. We're glad you're with us and uh, pray we'll have a a good Bible study tonight as you continue to look at the the idea of the life enrichment and talking about how to encourage ourselves and others uh, in times of difficulty and stressful events in life. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Our great, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious God-hallowed, be your great and amazing name. We praise you. We love you. We thank you so very, very much for all that you've done and for all that you do, for watching over us and giving us this day another day. Lord God, thank you. We pray you'll bless our study tonight, that you'll help our minds to uh, to grow, and that as your word is read, that you will grant to us understanding and the greater concepts of your message, that we may be able not only to apply them to our own lives, but also to help uh, others and help them apply it to their lives. Uh, please continue to be with us. Help us never to forget Jesus, your great Son, who lived and died for each and every one of us, that we might be saved. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank you, if it be your will. Amen. Uh, we're going to Luke chapter 4 tonight. Just really quickly, just I want to remind us um, that... The importance. I want to remind us of the importance of our relationship with God, that we are God's children, and that's really important. I'm going to come back to that uh, in, in just in a little bit throughout uh, the text that we are God's children, and what um, not what that means because we understand what that means, but just just the value that God has placed on each and every one of us, and that your existence is necessary and important. So Luke. Four, again, just verse 16. This is from last week. I want to read it again. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words, which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? So, Think about what happened. Um, You know, obviously, you know, maybe Jesus said other things that are not recorded here. But regardless, he read the Psalm, and they said, Oh, what gracious words are falling from his lips. Think about the importance and the depth of God's word when you listen to it and you hear it. How those the lips of the one who pours forth the Word of God, not their own message, but the Word of God, how gracious it is, how wonderful it is, how uh, how much of a blessing it really is to hear the Word of God, right? Wow. So we're going to go to Psalm 23 because listen to what is echoed by David in Psalm 23 and just think about what the message, if you will, that God is trying to convey to each and every one of us, right, today. The Lord, verse 1, is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table Before me in the presence of my enemies, thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that we say, Amen. But What does that mean to us? Again, this is, uh, you know, I've said this time and time again. I think it's really important that we get this message. First, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And that is, I know we read this at funerals, but this is a living message, brethren. This is a living message for all. So it's great for funerals. It's wonderful because it's comforting to hear it for the living. But I want us to think about this passage uh, beyond just uh, in the moment of of, of a death and, and sadness and struggle as well as difficulty. I want us to think about this passage in light of living people who are going through Three things, three phases in their lives. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's life, right? Some days are good, some days are bad, and some days are just downright ugly, right? That's life. And so I want us to think about Psalm 23 and light it out for just a moment. First, let's look at the good. First Samuel chapter 17. So as David is writing this psalm, let's just imagine for a moment that David has written this psalm at a point in his life when he's experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, we know that he has experienced those things. I want to pick out three parts of David's life that, uh, you know, keeping in context, just the idea that maybe, let's just say the psalm was written after those three parts of his life. Okay, And he writes about the good. You can imagine the good days, right? There are days when you just feel good. You wake up feeling good, you're excited about your day, and everything goes great, and it's a wonderful, blissful, blessed, and amazing day. And I can imagine that when David stood before Goliath, he thought about not only some of those really good days that he had, but at that moment, it was a good, good day. Because David's confidence was wonderful. His faith was strong. I mean, everything was going, everything was clicking, everything was positive, everything was just downright wonderful except for the event in front of them. You know, Goliath was out there taunting Israel, and everyone was afraid. But David had this amazing faith at this moment, and uh, he was able to, uh, to to muster up the faith that was necessary to go out and conquer the giant with the gift of God. So verse 34 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb of the flock, I went out after it and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And the uh, uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. So Saul was, you know, not willing to sacrifice himself, but okay, David, you go and challenge him. And David says, I feel good today. I remember when I faced the lion and the bear and the way he killed the bear and the way he killed the lion. He just remembers it and says, if God could do that for me, I know God will rescue me from this guy. And he felt great in his faith. He was confident in his faith. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the, the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth That the, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was David's good day. David had some days that were out of his control. I mean, some days where people, as the king, though he's fleeing from Absalom, he's still the king and he has the mighty men surrounding him. And this day should never have occurred. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, why would something like this happen to David? What I mean by it should never have occurred is Hushai should have never had this much confidence to stand before the king and say words of cursing to the king. And not only that, look at the text. 2 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out from the there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of and He came out cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David. And at all the servants of the king David, and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the blood of the house of of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom, and behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. So, just for a moment, think about this day. All the bad stuff that's already happened, and then to top it off, Shimei—I think I said Hushai earlier. I made a mistake. Shimei comes along, and Shimei begins to curse David. And say mean, horrible things to him. And throw rocks at him. And throw rocks at the mighty men. And the mighty men want to kill him. But David says, no, don't don't kill him. Because, look at verse 12. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. Maybe this is from God. And here is my a day of affliction. This isn't a day like Goliath. You know, for some reason, Shimei was bigger than Goliath that day. Imagine that, right? You have your good days. You have your bad days. And then there are also the days that we would say, these, these are, are very ugly days, difficult times in life. Same chapter in Second Samuel chapter 16. Or rather, 1 Samuel chapter 30, excuse me. First Samuel chapter 30. I want to go backwards for just a moment. And I'm going to go back to one of those really, really ugly days in David's life. Remember. David's the one who said. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to begin at verse. Um, verse 1. The Bible says. Then it happened when David. And his men came to Ziklag. On the third day that the Amalekites made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the woman and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing any one, and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and all the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Ugly days. But David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Does David still believe in the bad days and in the ugly days that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Does Job treat his relationship with God the same as in those good days, in those good times with Goliath, the bear, and the lion? I think a better question is, how do we treat those days? Do I still see God as my shepherd in those very difficult, ugly, and bad days? 2 Samuel, please, for just a moment. Chapter, uh, chapter uh, 18. 2 Samuel, chapter 18. Here's another ugly, ugly day for David. The battle with Absalom. Verse 32. Then the king said to the Hushite, Cushite, It is well with the young man Absalom. And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, "O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned to mourning for all the people, for the people heard it and said that day, the king is grieved for his son. So the people went by stealth into the city that day as the people who were humiliated steal away went when they flee from the battle. And the king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, O Absalom, O oh my son, Absalom. O oh Absalom, my son, my son. So what do we do? Turn, please, to Matthew chapter chapter 17 what do we do in those moments in those hours where uh the bad and the ugly come into our lives right it, it's easy to you know for us to to glorify god and praise god in those in those good times i mean job was a righteous man and fearing god turning away from evil and he, and he held fast his integrity and And he was a good man. And and in bad times, Job got on his knees and worshipped. But I don't know that I always have that kind of faith. How about you? I don't know that I always have the kind of faith that that God wants me to have in those very bad and ugly moments. And so right now we begin to practice uh, having that kind of faith. What kind of faith, though? Uh, What did Jesus know about us that we don't always know about ourselves? Listen to verse uh, chapter 17, verse 20. Verse 20. And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, truly I say to you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. God says, I'm not asking you to have this amazing amount of faith every single day of your life. But I need you in your life to right now begin to practice. And find through your study of the Scriptures, through your prayer life, and your relationship with God, I want you to find the faith the size of a mustard. That's exactly what would happen, a mustard seed. It's so tiny. It's so small. And God is not saying to have little faith. But what God is saying is, I need you to at least have the faith of a mustard seed. And as you grow in Christ, your faith will continue to increase and grow. And that when the bad times come, though we suffer and struggle through them, we'll suffer and struggle through them with God. And we'll go to God. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to come unto Him, all who are weary and heavy laden. So what we need to try to do in in our relationship is design our lives in such a way, pattern our lives in such a way to where we go to God and not anywhere else in good and bad times, right? See, it's easy to go somewhere else. But God says, I don't want you to go anywhere else. I want you to come to me first. I want you to come to me and let's reason together. Let's work through this together. Have the faith of a mustard seed. So now, back to Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is, the Lord is our shepherd, isn't He? God is truly our shepherd. And when you think about sheep and and shepherds, uh, shepherds are very necessary for sheep. God tells us that we are sheep. And so without a shepherd, uh, the sheep are very vulnerable. You ever felt You ever felt vulnerable? I mean, think about living your life without God. You're vulnerable. In this moment right now, we're realizing how vulnerable we are. During this pandemic, you know, everyone said, we don't want to catch it, and we don't want to catch the virus or be inflicted in that way. We don't even want to catch a cold, right? We're vulnerable. And as sheep, we always have to remember to go to the shepherd. And so my question to you tonight is this. Do you feel safe in the arms of Jesus? Do you feel safe in the good times, in the bad times, and in the ugly times? You know what happens often to us is in the good times, we begin to pat ourselves on the back <laughs> instead of saying, thank you, God. We've got to remember everything goes to God, right? Everything goes to God. That's building our faith in such a way to where we'll have that faith one day, if we don't already have it, the faith of a mustard seed. Do you feel safe in the arms of Jesus? Verse 2. And we're not going to go in the depth of this. Maybe we'll do that at another time. But I just want to just touch some points as we go through here. Verse 2. Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. So just imagine for just a moment. Think about your life and think about that moment. Maybe you're in that moment right now. Maybe you've been in that moment today. Maybe today's an ugly day. Maybe today's a bad day. Maybe today's a good day. But you're in that moment in your relationship with God and life and humanity. Imagine, if you will, if you close your eyes, you think about the beauty and the serenity of the scene and the setting that Jesus sets before us. He says, he makes me lie down. Besides still waters, imagine being in our own our own lake uh, and you go to this lake and you sit there and when you close your eyes and you you hear you hear lots of things you hear you hear the fish depending on what time of day you're there uh, you know and, and flapping their fins in the, in the water and you you hear that you hear the birds singing a beautiful song uh, you hear if there are crickets, you hear the crickets sound uh, you hear so many sounds and it's it's peaceful and it's it's amazing. And can you imagine that? That's where Jesus says, I want to take you. I want to take you to this quiet, calm, peaceful place. You know, if if we have the ability to to meditate and think about God in those very difficult, distra- disastrous moments, if we can close our eyes and say, God, take me there. And let God take you to that nice, quiet, serene place place where you feel this sense of harmony, you know, because of your oneness with Christ. Not because you've done wonderful things today, but because of the great precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are in this quiet zone, this quiet place where you can hear finally the voice of God instead of the angry, uh, you know, noises in the streets. And you find this satisfaction. And the satisfaction is in the state that you're in. Not that you enjoy the state, necessarily but knowing that there's something good coming out of this state right now i don't want to think about what's coming out because i'm i'm not there yet but right now i'm thinking about what where god has brought me and allowed me to step foot and now that i'm in this this place i'm in this world i feel this harmony and this serenity with god i feel this satisfaction and i and i don't feel better but i i feel satisfied in other words Lord I'm 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 comfortable being uncomfortable. I don't like it, but I'm I'm trusting in you because for some reason this this thing that's making me feel horrible, I'm asking you to help me to feel better and help me to see clear or clearly Help me, help my eye, open my eyes and give me the vision that you want me to have. And so I'm, I'm looking for the faith of a mustard seed. The Lord is my shepherd. Here he is. He's my shepherd in the good times, in the bad times, and in the ugly times. I'm looking for this restoration, right? Restoration that comes from God, right? To be restored. The outman, the Albert man is is. Uh, is being renewed every day, right? The inward man, excuse me, is being renewed every single day. The outer man suffering, but the inward man, he's being renewed. So I'm looking for that new strength, that new day. The Bible says joy cometh in the morning, right? Joy cometh in the morning. Look at verse uh verse three. Joy cometh in the morning. He restores restoration. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so Here's this restoration, this uh, rejuvenation, this uh, renewal, this renewal with, with God. And when we enjoy that, we think about, just for a moment, the labor involved. The labor that it will take for God to bring me restoration, renewal, rejuvenation, to, to calm my spirit to calm the the inner man. I'm, I'm looking, I'm watching, I'm observing Jesus. I see Jesus healing me, right? Isn't that beautiful? And he's working on my heart and and my soul and my the holistic side of me. And only only he who knows me can heal me. Right? All of me. And now now that the healing has come and we see Jesus working and, and there there comes this soothing feeling. Right? It just this soothing feeling where well, I want you to think about something for just a moment. Um when how I many how many times does This just parents, parents where they're the baby's crying and and what do we do? We we soothe them, we we comfort them, we we It's just something about lying in the bosom of uh, turn to uh, turn to John uh, chapter chapter one. Something about lying in the bosom of your mom or of the dad and and being in the bosom. And I want to look at John one in verse 18. And I want you to look at the the intimate relationship um, here in this in this passage the brokenhearted, the, the struggling, whatever it may be, the, the bosom. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And I want you to think for just a moment about what what that looks like. Now, we, we think about that. I'm, I'm going to go to a child, but an infant. Why is it when when our young children grow up, that for some reason, they don't, they no longer lie in the bosom of their parents or their father. What happened? Right? You know, you know, masculinity, right? We're so tough. Let me tell you how important that is. Right? The value, the value of, of that human touch. The Bible says Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, giving us an image of, of the love and the cradling of the father and the closeness and that and that relationship between father and and son, and lying. Think about this for just a moment. Laying in the in the bosom of of parents, that soothing and and gentle feeling. Where you? What do you hear? From Psalm twenty three, you know, out there in the you know beautiful waters, still waters, and but what do you hear? That heartbeat and and you know and and prayer, the one that's holding the one that's trying to calm has a has a gentle soothing consistent heartbeat it's not rapid it's not stressed it's, so, you know what happens that heartbeat helps to soothe me and calm my heartbeat and 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 you go on to think about this the 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 calmness of that that voice that says, it's going to be all right. The masculine voice, the feminine voice, it's going to be all right. Things are going, the heartbeat and things are going to be all right. And then the inhaling and the exhaling. And you hear that gentle breath. And there's a lot to being in the bosom of another. And, and, and you know, father, son, mother, son, daughter, father, daughter. The restlessness seems to fade away. It seems to fade away. Um, think about this really, this, this amazingly vexing, and well, not vexing, this amazing trying moment um, in John. John chapter 13 and, and verse, verse 21. Jesus is trying to explain to the apostles what's about to happen. And in verse 21, I want you to notice in this text Notice in this setting, in this scene, that these apostles are all in an upper upper room or some room of some sort, and they're sitting together, and Jesus is speaking to them about profound truths. And they're talking about whatever it is they're talking about, but I want you to notice that special relationship between Jesus and John. Look, if you will, at verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, "Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me." The disciples began looking at one another, at a loss to know which one of he which one he was speaking of. And there was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him and said to him, "Tell us who it is whom he is speaking." He Leaning back thus on Jesus' breast said to him, Lord, who is it? Where's, where is... now, see, we get so paranoid with today's world, right? If you had seen, if, you... we don't have this image anywhere, I don't, maybe there is, maybe you could find it on, <laughs> probably today you can, Um, with, with the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, with his, with his head lying on Jesus' tre- chest. Why is he doing that? Because there's comfort there, you see. There's comfort there. We're not not talking, we're talking about solid, strong, godly, wholesome, and beautiful relationships. There's calmness there. And there was John just laying back on Jesus' chest in the midst and with all the other brethren with this special, unique relationship. And I think we need that relationship even to this day. But now take it, if you will, in our own minds that we're lying in the in the arms of Jesus and feeling that comfort. And what comes out of that is confidence. Confidence. Um, back to Psalm 23, please, in verse 4. There's this confidence that that comes out of that loving relationship that one can have with God, this confidence that God will always be there, has always been there, has never left, will, never leave, and will always forever comfort you. And so verse four, he gets down really into the trenches, and he says, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. the confident. But here's something that has to happen. One has to allow themselves to release the thought that I'm in control and give it all to God. One has to release that, that feeling of I've got this to Jesus has this. And there's this amazing, when we learn to do this, and you know, and by the way, when you study about uh, depression and the angel, you know, we'll talk about uh, being calm and getting your breathing under control and, and, and trying to, you know, you get become active and do things. And there's a lot we talked about that early, early in, in our conversation in this Bible study. But think about the, the, the ability, faith of a mustard seed, to just give it to God and step away from it. Brethren, you know how, how important that is? And I want to show you two very familiar passages, both of them are Daniel. Two very familiar passages. I thought about going to the unfamiliar, but then I thought, no, let's stick with familiar just so that we don't have to make any large uh, or overcome any large hurdles or obstacles uh, in our study. Keep it simple. Right? We'll go to the very familiar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this very tragic scene and situation Think for just a moment. The sound of the music, the loudness that's around them. And everyone does what? What Was it, a million people? All bow down. If it was 100,000 people, whatever the number is, they all bow down and you look around and see that you're the only one. And this anxiousness this feeling of what should i do should i bow down or should i honor god should i go with god should i take this to god or, or or should i give in and 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 bow down to this idol god should i obey the king my life is being threatened what am i going to do what what is my end god and we be, this this mass of confusion unless unless you have this faith of a mustard seed and say, i'm going to do what god wants me to do regardless of what the outcome is going to be I do know this, though I do not know the outcome in the sense of what exactly is going to happen. I do know that my end is with God as my beginning is with God. But if you don't have faith now, there's no way to get to that point. right? Not in that time of desperation and despair. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, over in verse um, 23... But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, Was it not three men were cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, Oh, certainly, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed, And walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And here's one thing we could think about. We say, wait, the minute they said we're going to throw you in the fire, wait, well, I don't want to be thrown, I don't want to be burned alive. But If we look at the text and we say God was with them, we know it doesn't mean that if the next group were thrown into the fire, God would be with them in the same way. We know God will be with His people no matter what, but there may have been a very different outcome. And so, to be, to have the ability not to weigh the outcome, but rather to count the cost if you refuse God, to be able to do it the other way, that takes faith. Right? When, when, you know, all the, the terror and, and situations in our, in our lives, and we, we've heard about the, the young lady, was executed and, and then the gunman goes to the next lady and says Are you, do you believe in God and he's ready to shoot her too she figures the outcome is going to be the same she, but it was a very different outcome for the second than it was for the first and so we don't know what's going to happen but th- the idea is not to focus on the what that is going to happen that is out of my control rather to focus on the one who is in control it's tough to do right so when all the satrax and, and the, the, the governors and the rulers all came together and they, they found a plan, a way to to have Daniel killed, executed, right? Daniel chapter 6. Daniel knew the plan. He knew what they had uh, decided. He knew he'd be thrown into some, well, some kind of disastrous situation. In verse 21, the outcome was amazing. And what I want to show you the outcome, what I want you to realize is we're not looking at the outcome meaning, oh, this will be my outcome. We're looking at the one who is in control. Allow God to be your shepherd. Right? He says, I am the good shepherd. I am your shepherd. But allow him to be your shepherd. That's that faith we're talking about where I step away and I say, Lord, these things I cannot control. Only you can control them. And only you know the outcome. This is faith we're talking about, brethren. Faith, right? Daniel chapter 6, verse 21. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I've committed no crime. Protection. What does protection look like? That's always the question. Is is God going to rescue us from every lion's den? Yes. But not necessarily the same way. right? It's not the same way. And so that faith and that confidence in God says, I know that God who is my shepherd will come to my aid. And I'm just a sheep and all my job is to do is is eat and and lay down and get into trouble. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't get into trouble, but that's what sheep do all the time. All right? Turn to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Allow God to be your shepherd. Hebrews chapter thirteen, uh, in verse uh, verses five and and verse six, the same promise to them is echoed to us. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in that text, I will not be afraid, though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. What can man do to me? When God is my shepherd, God is my helper, God is my protector, God is my guide. God is with me. When God is with me, who can be against me? You say, the whole world can be against you. Yes, but if God is with us, the whole world being against us isn't enough. Not against God. And so there's this beauty in relationship. And as we have this relationship with God, knowing that God will always forever be with His children, we have to remember two things. Number one, be careful where you take God. Be careful about putting ourselves in situations that we ought not be in, where we forsake God and we leave God. God will always be there. But if we forsake God, we're on our own. Don't leave God. Stay with God always and forever. And even in times of of uh, of trouble where you're looking for the guidance of God, it's there. It's there. If you go back to Exodus uh, for just a moment, the book of Exodus uh, chapter 13, remember when Israel was crossing uh um, They were in the wilderness. And in Exodus 13, verse 21, I want to look at this passage. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So in other words, God was always with them, right? And and what you know, what a blessing to know, to remember, to remind ourselves constantly and continually that God is forever with them. Okay, now I'm going to go. I'm sorry, I know I'm, I got you twisted, Judy, on the on the scriptures here. Um, but I wanted to do it this way. And but I want to go down to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. I feared the bell ringing, and so and there it is. There it is. Right? What you fear will overcome you. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40 and verse 28. Remembering that the confidence we'll receive from God is a gift. Verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to what it says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will turn, uh, excuse me, run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. And why? It's because they're trusting in God. Right. Now, trusting in God doesn't mean you're not going to have the bad. Trusting in God doesn't mean we're not going to have the ugly. Trusting in God does not mean we're going to have always the good. But to trust in God in those times. Just to recognize. I like to tell people that when you you have an issue in your life and and you find that you're struggling, um, and and you're struggling maybe because of the sin in your life, you've done something you shouldn't have done. You know what's beautiful? Sin is not beautiful. But what's beautiful about that is that you recognize that you sinned. You recognize that you've done wrong. That's the difference. That's what sets us apart. One of the things that sets a Christian apart is we recognize that we've sinned. When you were in the world, when I was in the world, I didn't recognize that I sinned. But now in Christ, I recognize when I sinned and I go to God. And that's what we have to continue to do. Go to God and ask God for forgiveness, knowing that God will forever be with us and forgive us. It's a beautiful, comforting feeling as God... uh, is involved intimately in our lives in so many wonderful and blessed ways. Let's go back to Psalm 23 uh, again. Uh, yeah, our time's going to run out, but that's all right. Let's go back to Psalm 23 and, and look at verse five. And then I want I want to come back to Psalm 23 and verse five because I want to bring out uh, a very important point. But let me read it. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup over so psalm 23 5 what do we know we know this you're going to have enemies right i mean god never said you're not going to have enemies so even though god is our our shepherd you're going to have bad days and we're going to have good days we're going to have all of those all mixed together but we're going to have enemies we're going to have tough times but it's in those tough times and it's and it's in the presence of those enemies and it's during those those bad days That we can see God if we step back and meditate and think about God in that moment. Think about God. What is God doing for me? Here's what my shepherd wants to do. He wants to take me and lead me beside quiet waters. There's a lot of noise in the background of my life right now. Things going on in my life. Things I'm thinking about. Things that could happen. Situations and struggles and difficulties. But the Lord is trying to lead me beside quiet waters so that I can experience uh, what John 14, verse 27 says, that God will give us a peace that is without chaos, if you will, right? A peace in the, in the midst of all of our enemies. He'll give us this peace, not like the world gives, but he'll give us this amazing peace. And he's trying to lead us to this peaceful place, this peaceful place in our mind right up here. Right? To step away and to find that calm. That is something that we ought to think about and try to do every single day. Try to find that peaceful calm, right? That's so why meditation is so important. The Bible tells us to do it. You know, you read and you meditate. Read the Word of God. Read Philippians 4, verse 8, and you can start there. And think about those things. And then we even, the kids sing a song. We'd always have them singing a song. What shall we think about? You know, and it's Philippians 4, 8, right? Um, think about those things that are honorable and true when you meditate. Think about the Scriptures. Think about the goodness of God. Praise God's name. Try to find that calm in your busy life, right? We're so busy, 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 busy. But if I can find that calm, that's where God wants to take me. That's where God wants to take you. So thank you tonight for your time. I really appreciate it. We'll come back with um, verse 5 and verse 6 and then um, conclude and get into our next part of the lesson in life and enrichment. I do appreciate your time tonight. God bless you.